Welcome to the TechEd Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome to the TechEd Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kirkner. You know, every once in a while, you get an opportunity to read a book that absolutely hits home. And in the case of our topic today, this was a book that was given to me by a really good friend of mine. His name is Michael Frona. And Michael walked into my office at the end of 2021 with a book. It was a gift for me. And he said, I love this book. It's one of the best books I've ever read. You have to read it. And I absolutely fell in love with this book. It is equal parts, like really, really amazing career planning with a bunch of like the value of positive thinking, how we run our brain, how we plan for the future, the importance of goal setting, and all around the incredible value of jobs in the skilled trades, what we call blue collar jobs in many cases. So today we're not just going to talk about that book. We are going to talk about that book with the book's author. The book is called Blue Collar Cash. Like I said, it's an absolutely phenomenal book. We'll tell you a little bit later where you can get a hold of it. But for right now, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, the author of Blue Collar Cash, Mr. Ken Russ. Ken, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me today. Absolutely. So let's start with what prompted you to write Blue Collar Cash? You know, uh, it, it's it's actually a couple of different things. Uh, as I write in the book, uh, in, when my daughter was 12, she went through a pretty serious illness. And um that was a pretty scary five years for her mother and I, uh, along with her, obviously. So, you know, sometimes you get, you know, you get to the philosophical part of your side where you think about what's important in life. You know, what what should we be chasing as, you know, business owners or, or anyone that's trying to uh, work through their careers? And so these words, comfort, peace and freedom just kept coming back and I couldn't escape them. I kept writing them down, forgetting about them. They kept coming back. And um it, you know, it, it's it's kind of like I was writing a letter to her, like, what should you go after? What's your, you know, what's your perfect nirvana? What would that look like? And how would you get there? And uh, so to me, that was what the chase was all about. And um, I, if you pair that up with the fact that I've probably hired in my career, oh, gosh, I would say 2,500 people. And I've I've learned all different kinds of things from interviews and how prepared or unprepared people are for their futures. And uh I became kind of an involuntary life coach. You know, I don't have any letters after my name or anything like that. But um, I worked out some programs and some processes that really seem to have an effect on people as as they think of their futures. And one thing led to another. And it was my wife that said, you know, this works so well for you. Why don't you tell it beyond the four walls of your of your company there? So I just started writing down stories and pretty soon I had 80,000 words and here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are indeed. The uh, you, Well, that was good advice on the part of your wife, by the way, because as I mentioned, it is a, it is a fantastic book. But I want to kind of turn the, the clock back a ways to kind of what happened for you right after high school. Now, you're an individual that made a decision to uh, not pursue college and, and did some other things right after high school. Tell us a little bit about your first few years after you graduated. Well, you know, it, it actually started for me... Um, Back when I was 15, I had already had four or five different odd jobs when I was younger. And, and my father was a, he was a pretty tough Marine. You know, he gave us clothing and shelter and food. And uh, my four brothers and I lived in a very, very small house. And he, he and my mom were like, hey, if you want something beyond what we're doing, you got to go get it. You got to go find a way. It was always like a, a, a give get kind of thing. 
So when I was 15, my high school shared a fence with an industrial park. And um, we would cut through a, a hole in that fence to go hang out to carry out after high school, which is what, what, what kids did. And, and I noticed there was always a lot of really high energy in this industrial park. There was, you know, just guys running all around and there was dump trucks and, you know, backhoes and all the kinds of things that, that kids like to, you know, we used to play with as kids actually. And so, you know, I, I needed money like anybody else. I, I wanted to take my girlfriend out for pizza or go bowling with my buddies or whatever. So I walked in, I, I knew uh, someone that had worked there and I said, Hey, what do you guys need? What do, what do you need here? And they said, well, we're basically ditch diggers and that's what we do. We fix up old basements and we, we dig a lot of ditches doing that. So I said, well, Hey, I, 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 I can do that. Right. So I would do that during the summertime when I was uh, out of school. And then when I was in school in the winter, I'd work in the office. And very quickly, I got to learn kind of the whole company and how it worked. So when I was 18, they wanted me to go open franchises around the country. They were expanding so fast. So I had to make a pretty quick decision of whether I wanted to go to college or try to do this. And um, it was actually my father who said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you're going to get a pretty good education going out to Chicago and opening a business from scratch and trying to make it work for somebody else. So Chicago, Columbus, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, I mean, it was all over the place. And I did that for three or four years, got tired of living out of a suitcase, which is, as anybody knows, is not easy. And, uh, you know, pulled up stakes, came to Toledo, Ohio, and we've been uh, here since 1986. So it's been a heck of a ride. Heck of a ride indeed. And I want to talk a little bit later in the podcast about, uh, you know, some of the things that you're doing now from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but what a great story of growing up in a, it sounds like a family, not too much different than mine. You know, we certainly weren't poor per se, but nothing was given to you. You had to earn it every step of the way, um, you know, proving that there's pride in all kinds of work, ditch digging included and, and finding this opportunity. And then imagine for our audience to be 18 years old. I mean, literally like right out of high school and being asked to travel all over the Midwest, all over the country, opening up these franchises for that organization. You're exactly right. I often say I learned more in my first year of work uh, in many ways than I did in the the four years that I spent in post-secondary education. Not that I'm ashamed of that or or would do it differently necessarily, but there's just something about being in the workforce, solving real problems, working around real people that gives you an education you can't get anywhere else, isn't there? You know, it's 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 interesting because I am not an anti-college guy. And and I always I always talk about that. Right. You know, if if you're going to a specific school for a specific degree to get a specific job, you know, if you want to be a surgeon so you can operate on my shoulder so I can get back out on the golf course, I'm going to want you to know everything there is to know about a knife before you pick it up. Okay. So, and the same thing goes with handling money or engineering a building or being a teacher or whatever. You, you, those are job specific type degrees. The, the things that I, I'm concerned about are all these kids that are just going because everyone tells them they have to, whether it's their parents getting kind of hoodwinked by the whole system, or it's the guidance counselors or the teachers or the even the, the colleges themselves who are amazing at marketing their services, right? Uh, it, if you're going to college just because someone said you had to, and maybe you're just going to learn how to play beer pong and that's about it. Uh, there's so many other ways to think about this life and to think about your future and, and to, to the, the opportunities in the financial game right now are crazy on the blue collar side, because anyone knows it's simple supply and demand, Matt, you know, I mean, where supplies low and demand is high, that's where the money always goes. And that's what we're seeing right now on the blue collar side. 
there are just incredible opportunities that don't necessarily require a college degree. It feels a little bit like we're turning the corner on that in this country. I don't know that we're quite there yet, but I think in just the five or six years since I left the world of manufacturing and got more onto the technical education side of things, uh, it feels like we're making some progress. And I think in a lot of ways, that's thanks to people like yourself who are telling the story about these great opportunities outside of uh, career pathways that necessarily require a college degree. And there's tremendous pride in a lot of those pathways. I want to talk a little bit about that now. You note um, in the book about the importance of not being ashamed of who you are and that that is one of the most important traits you can have as a human being. That one rung true with me, I think, in a lot of ways because you know, I was like so many kids going through high school till I was about maybe 16 years old. You know, you're always worried about who your friends are, who you're hanging out with, who you got to go out with on Friday night, who's who's buddies with who. And now, of course, in this day and age with social media, which didn't exist at all when when I was going through that part of my life, I, it's, I think it's even that much harder. Once I kind of figured out maybe around the age of 16 that a lot of that was just a facade and, and what was really important was how I felt about myself much more so than how others felt about me. My whole life kind of changed. So how did you arrive at the, this whole idea of the importance of not being ashamed of who you are? Well, that, that might be one of the better questions I've been asked in a very long time. So thank you for that. I, I would say this. I would say what holds people back from that is they lead these if-then lives. It's reactive. They react to everything that comes their way. In other words, if I go to high school and if I get good grades and if I get maybe a scholarship and if I go to college and if I get a degree and if I get a good job and if that job pays well, then I can start living. I can be who I want to be. Well, that's that's exactly the opposite of how we need to be thinking about this. You know, you don't wait for life to happen to you. You live to make life happen, okay? I, I think when we get people to figure out you know, what's my nirvana? Like, no one's ever asked me what I want. You know, everyone's told me what I need to do. Here's your path. You got to do this. You have to do that. Why? Because everybody else is doing it. Really? Is that the way? I mean, do we want to really follow that crowd? So I think to myself, if you get to the point where you say, wow, I'm drawing a pretty clear picture, and we actually do this with crayons and cardboard at our office here, poster board, if you get to the point where you can draw clearly what you want your life to look like, that's the version of you that nobody knows but you, right? That's the version that you can pursue without anybody else telling you what to do or how to do it or where to go or what to say. And I, and I think that's the, that's the beauty of the freedom of vision. You know, people talk about Elon Musk is so smart and Stephen Jobs. That's true. But really, all they chose to do was really empower the visionary side of their brain and and proact versus react, where all of us are trained to react all the time. So I sit kids down all the time and I say, here, draw your favorite vacation. Here, here's a piece of paper and some crayons. Every one of them is different. Every one of them chooses different colors. Every one of them has different destinations, things that they would do. Why can't we live our whole life that way? I mean, we're good at planning vacations and visualizing and anticipating those things. Why can't we live the rest of our life this way? And I think when we begin to do that, all those self-imposed limits and all those, you know, self-loathing and self-shaming, all that stuff just goes away. You know, I love the way you answer that question, especially the the beginning of it with the if then 
questions and the, you know, if I do this, then I get that. And, you know, I can think of a couple of people in my life who, you know, they almost lived that life all the way to retirement. Well, you know, once I get to retirement, then I'm going to take the trip, then I'm going to be able to relax. Then I'm finally going to be able to spend time with my family, have fun, whatever it is. And, and in so many ways, if you, without even knowing it, you almost wish your whole life away or a, or a significant percentage of it. And then you get to whatever comes next and realize that that journey was actually the point of it to begin with, right? Is that, that whole process of going through life of discovery, of making mistakes, of kind of figuring out where we're going to end up. So it, it's all a process. It's all a journey. And as, as young students, people coming out of high school are starting to think about career pathways. You know, you, you make the point in the uh, in the book that one of the biggest choices that a human being can make is the choice of their own career. So let me ask you this. Do we put too much pressure, do you think, on young people to choose their careers too early? Well, I, I you know, it's, it's a little controversial because sometimes I, I think as long as you're building the puzzle that you drew, as long as you're getting towards that puzzle, it's not so important what you do for a living is what it is, what you do with what you've done for a living, right? So ditch digging was probably number 99 on a list of 100 things that I was going to do. I wanted to be a race car driver, right? So the good news is, is that the more I worked, the harder that I worked and the more that I was at the effect of, I don't know, controlling my input, controlling my output, controlling the quality of that, the pace, the daily schedule, the workload, the financial gain. You you get that in a blue collar job when you're working with your hands, working for yourself. So yeah, I really like the fact that I could build my life and have the control to do that. And oh, guess what? No, I was never a race car driver, but I've collected two or three cars and I do race them around the track. Like, you know, we call it weekend NASCAR. I sometimes I don't think it's it's as important early on to know exactly how you're going to get there, but what's the there look like to begin with. Yep, absolutely. Setting those goals and and uh, letting, letting folks know in the book, and you've talked about the crayons in the paper already and really sketching out your future. That's not just something you're saying for a podcast. This is something that is, you go deep into that process in the book. And if, if memory serves, you've done that directly or indirectly with thousands of people and really painting the picture of the future of their lives. And many times that future can include, should include considering a role as a skilled tradesperson. Now, there may be certain connotations that people put around that term. What does the term skilled tradesperson mean to Ken Rusk? Well, to me, it's it's honorable. I just mentioned the word in control of your own life, right? We talked about that. There's this stand back moment that you get. You know, I used to plant pine trees by the hundreds in, in really high-end neighborhoods when I was younger. And um, we would build, you know, rock waterfalls and, and you know, koi ponds and all this cool stuff. And um, at the end of the day, you'd stand back and you'd lean on that shovel and you'd have your your Pepsi or your Coke, whatever you were doing. You would look at that and go, wow, I created that. OK, that that will stand the test of time. And in 100 years, I could drive back here and look at these pine trees and they're still going to be here. You know what I mean? Or some of the things that we've created. So in my mind, there's there's that stand back moment that you really don't get on the 15th floor inside some cubicle working for a large corporation. I like to see the beginning and the end and how I controlled the result. And uh, so whenever I hear about the stigma, OK, you know, I've, I've heard parents at parties. Well, you know, my daughter's going to Stanford and my son's going to, you know, wherever my son's going here. My well, what's what's her son doing? Oh, he's just going to be a plumber. OK, well. I know that plumber. He's now got six bands, 
12 employees and he's making in excess of a quarter million dollars a year. Right, exactly. It's one of the worst things that that I deal with is the undeserved and really crazy stigma that's placed on something that has no business being there. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, we still talk about manufacturing um, on our end being the place where you can start out sweeping the floor and end up running the company or pause anywhere along the way and have a really rewarding family supporting job and in doing a whole wide variety of different jobs in the world of manufacturing. There's a guy I write about in the book who he's got this stone mason company and he builds these awesome stone gates with wrought iron fencing and outdoor kitchens and he comes he comes rolling up in my driveway after I waited for him for a year, okay? That's how busy he was. He comes rolling up in my driveway in a brand new pickup truck. He's got Zeppelin just cranking on the radio. He gets out in his jeans and his boots and his t-shirt. He's got his cup of coffee, his bandana on. And he's just, he's just happy. He's just ready to go to work. And he's got his buddies there and they're playing music and slapping up stone and doing all these amazing artistic things. That guy's got no one to leave his company to. And he makes over $200,000 a year. Now I've heard that story, Matt over and over and over from wood floor people to painters to tile layers, faux finishers, decorative masonry people. I mean, they have no one to leave these companies to. So I, I look at that and I think someone has got to swing this pendulum back towards the center here to gain some balance. I mean, there's 165 million people that work in our in our country at full employment, maybe 167 million. And they say, I looked it up, 77 million of those people do something with their hands. So if we try to shove 100% of our future kids into college, you know, who's going to be here to do all these things? And if if they are, are carpenters going to start making more money than doctors pretty soon? I mean, because of the supply and demand issue of it. And for people that say that those jobs don't exist anymore, by the time you put your feet on the floor getting out of bed, to the time you get to church or school or your office, wherever you're going, you cross a thousand blue collar jobs that are still in play today. You know, you've got the makings of a real blue collar crisis, but for every crisis, there's someone taking advantage of that. And if you're willing to go this way when everyone else is going that way, you're going to make a fortune, be in control of your own life and and lead a pretty happy life that way. I don't know if you ever read The Millionaire Next Door, which is just a phenomenal book about, you know, we just for the audience, you know, the authors did a study basically and and went to a bunch of bankers and investment bankers and so on and said, hey, you know, send us some of your wealthiest, some of your wealthiest clients. We just want to get to know them. And they 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 took out like the penthouse suite at the top of this gigantic, you know, beautiful hotel and put a spread out of like lobster and crab and oysters and all these exotic cheeses and really good wine. And then the people showed up to be interviewed. They wanted to know what is it like to be a millionaire. It was just guys showing up in coveralls. Um, you know, men and women showing up and you know, and work clothes. And so many of these people were, you know, that is the millionaire next door. The idea that, you know, when we think about wealth in this country. So many of us think about the, the you know, the person driving the, the big Mercedes or the Lamborghini living in the giant house. And certainly there's, you know, there's people like that, that, that have amassed tremendous amount of wealth and people like that, by the way, who are just living on whatever they can borrow from the bank, two different things. But, but in, in so many cases, these opportunities that exist to, to really create huge amounts of long-term wealth 
working in the types of jobs that you're talking about as a plumber, uh, an electrician, a carpenter, a machinist. And so many of these people, they want to be their own boss. They end up getting to that path a lot quicker in many cases uh, than you can get there um, by going through a a four-year degree pathway. Again, nothing against that, but it's just a great path to entrepreneurship, correct? Well, if you look at it this way, you know, two things. Let's talk about Let's talk about the, the the swing here, okay? Let's assume you're going to college and you're not sure why you're going, and that's 40% of entrance these days. Scary. Now, let's assume that college is forty to 50000 a year, and you do that for four years. That's 200000 on the negative side of your asset balance sheet, right? Hopefully, you didn't borrow that money. Right, yep. You can literally just have a pulse and start yep. making 50000 a year as a plumber's assistant, carpenter's assistant, whatever today. Yeah. Right. Four years of that is 200,000 on the positive side. That's a $400,000 swing by the time you're 23 years old. I mean, you at least have to think about that. I mean, that's, that's a house. That's a 401k. That's, I mean, that's, that's a lot of potential wealth right? building exactly. jumpstart that you get over someone that gets out of school and says, yeah, I took a Eastern European language translation and I don't know how to get a job with that. You know what I mean? But I, I have all this debt. So if you think about, you know, the forecasting and, and, and how people live their lives, great study that I talk about, a hundred people in a room, they ask, they ask them um, who has uh, crystal clear goals here, okay, that they can name. 80% of the people said, no, we don't have any goals. 20% did. So they took the 20 and they said, okay, of the 20 of you that's left, how many of you take the chance to write those things down? Okay. So that you have them. Four people said, yeah, we write them down. We we have them. How many of them had those goals posted on their wall where they see it every day? One. I mean, it's such an easy thing to do. Why aren't we teaching that in high school? I mean, you could learn that lesson in five minutes. Right. Okay. So you, if you pair those types of lessons up with, with like a simple 401k, man, I, you know, so many times in my life, I said, why didn't anybody tell me this? Why am I learning this now? Right. You put 60 bucks a week away, which is your first 60. You don't have it. You don't see it. You don't spend it. You don't miss it. You put that away for 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's $33,000. You can stop saving at that moment. And when you retire, you'll have over a million dollars. Isn't that crazy? 401k. Yeah. Now, the next guy who starts when he's 35, he's got to save for 30 years to get half the money that mm-hmm. you have. Yep. Why aren't we teaching those things in high school? Kids can be so much. Can you imagine having your retirement just handled by the time you're 21? Right. All right, I'm good. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all set. I don't have to worry about it. I don't talk about it. Yep, exactly. It's crazy that we don't teach these things. They're such simple lessons. And man, the last thing, this is why I wrote the book, man. I, I, if I could have one child, one kid or one... This book is for 15 to 50 year olds. If I could have one person go, man, you really shortened the learning curve for me, Ken. Thank you so much. Yep. I'm in. That's that's why I did it. Absolutely. Well, and you think about, I mean, it's certainly the time value of money side of things. And a lot of times folks don't realize, right? We always use the rule of 72, right? So money doubles every 10 years at 7.2%. You look historically at the stock market and the annual gains while it goes up and down significantly or can over time, it's earned about 7%. So that money's going to double every 
you know, in that case, every 10 years. So, so that $33,000 that you talked about 10 years later becomes 60, then becomes 120, then becomes 240. And that's exactly right. It's just that, that crazy time value of money. You think about that student, that, that kid in your example, who's 22 years old and had the $400,000 swing. Think about putting $400,000 away. Not you had to live on something during that period of time, but think, yeah, but think about, think about investing that in, in, in what kind of wealth, gets created as a result of that. We tell a story oftentimes, and again, kind of my manufacturing background, there was a kid uh, Southeast Wisconsin about two years ago, graduated from high school. He took a one semester course in robot operation and programming. One semester while he was in high school, got hired the day after he graduated from high school and making over $60,000 a year at a local manufacturing company programming robots. The day after high school, you know, the, the line we use is that kid can drive any pickup truck he wants. You know, your guy with the Led Zeppelin and the doodlies on the back of the truck and whatever. I mean, you know, just go pick it, right? You can you have your life all figured out for you. So so just a, just a great pathway. I want to turn our conversation now with, with Ken Rusk, the author of Blue Collar Cash, to a topic that he he goes through extensively. I already mentioned it today on the podcast in the book. And there's a chapter in his book about the meaning of life. And you suggest in it, Ken, that comfort, peace, and freedom are a huge part of that meaning. You brought those up a little earlier, but tell us about what those three words mean to you. Well, to me, it's it's again, if you think about, you know, whoever gets asked the question, well, how do you want to live your life? What do you think it's going to look like? What what do you think would make you happy? What do you think you're passionate about? What do you think you would be good at? How would you spend your free time? How would you spend um, your charitable time? Okay. You look at all the aspects of your life. What what kind of pet would you like? What dog or a cat? And which if if so, what color? What would you name it? I mean, where do you see yourself living? Where, what what how what are you driving? What are your vacations looking like? You know, if, if you had to volunteer some time, what would that look like? you know, your, your health side of things. How do you see yourself taking care of yourself as you move forward in life? Nobody ever asks those questions. People kind of have to stumble across those answers and, and, and find them out for themselves. Well, to me, comfort, peace, and freedom is, you know, being comfortable as we talked earlier with, with who you are based on what that picture is. You know, you could say, well, pajamas and a couch, those are comfortable things. I get that. But we're talking about how are you looking at yourself through the lens of yourself to the world? How does the world perceive you? And uh, we all know somebody who's really comfortable with themselves. And there's this kind of peace that follows along with that, this calm. And, um, you know, peace is something that's not just the absence of war. Peace is, is a goal for all of us because the emotions in your head, they fight for position so many times. And there's nothing but stress. And like you said, social media comparisons, and we got to be here, we got to be there, we got to be doing this. Chill out, you just relax and find the place that is peaceful for you. It does the body good, believe me. And then when you have those two things, you have you have the ability to be free. And when I talk about freedom, I don't talk about, you know, democracy, I, I talk about, how about being spontaneous? How about when someone says, hey, let's go to lunch, and you go, yeah, let's do that. And then you both walk away and it never happens. How about you say, hey, let's go to lunch tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, get out your calendar. All right, cool. Let's make that happen. Because when you do, you're done with that lunch and like, God, I'm so glad we did this. Why don't why don't we do this, this stuff more often? Whether it's walking your dog, going for a bike ride. When's the last time you went for a bike ride or, or threw a Frisbee or, or anything that you used to do when you had that freedom, right? 
those balancing things have to remain throughout your lifetime. So when I talk about comfort, comfort, peace, and freedom, everybody has a different version of that. And that's what's so cool about it. But those, the things that you anticipate that get you there, man, it's, 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 there's just no other way to live in my opinion. You know, you really did such a great job of encapsulating so many important concepts in those three words. I want to play off of what we just talked about with regard to freedom in one of our businesses, the the core values that that uh, the employees, the team members selected for that business were people, respect, and freedom. And that, you know, that freedom part, I, I write a magazine column for Gardner Media every month. I have another another Ohio company actually headquartered in Cincinnati. And I have for, um, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that. And so every month I have to come up with a new topic. And it was probably four or five years ago, I don't know if you have like the top workplaces and you know where you are, where they come up with like the top we 100 do. workplaces. Yeah. So for, for, yeah, we've, we've won that a few times. Oh, have you really? Oh, yeah. Then you'll love this yeah. story. So, so I, I took the, um, I took the list and, and they had posted online our uh, newspaper here in Southeast Wisconsin, all of the applications from the team members who had nominated their company to be one of the top 100 workplaces if they were selected. And so I went through and the goal of this of this uh, magazine column was to look for, you know, I wanted like the 15 things that make a top workplace. So I went through this whole list and wrote down every topic that I could come up with, every different suggestion, what these employees loved about working for the company that they worked for. And when I was all done, I put them into categories and there were just three categories. And in one of those categories was freedom. And in other words, and, and the way people define that was, you know, it was really to be able to have the independence to do their particular job the way they thought they could be most effective, right? And you kind of take that to the next level. And it's not just how you do what you do at work, but it's really how, how you live your whole life. And to your point, having the freedom to make spontaneous decisions and to not be held back by some decision you made year, years ago and really feel as though you're living a life of freedom, not in a political sense, but just in the in terms of your peace of mind and, and your well-being. Um, you met somebody that really created a whole environment of freedom for themselves. You talk about how do we spend our time um, deciding how we want to live our lives. Tell for our audience the story about Minnesota, which I just thought was a great story in the book. Well, the, you know, first off, I call him the grass cutter from Minnesota because I knew him for a whole week and yet I never learned his name. <laughs> so we were at a, a Cancun resort and it was one of those years where I, I gathered the staff up and I said, hey, this is the level that we're at. If we can get to this level, we'll all go to Cancun for a week. Okay. Now I know a lot of those folks wouldn't have attempted to do that on their own. Okay. So they were like, Hey, power and numbers, baby, let's rock and roll. Let's make this work. So, so we got it done. We took about 12 of us and we went to, uh, to Cancun. And yeah, right. um, this is a place where they have these, these colored like wristbands and they, yeah, they signify when you got there and when you're leaving. So all the staff knows who you are and how yep. long you've been there. I've been to one of those. Yeah. Well, we all had our same colors and every night we'd go to the bar and we'd get our beads and we'd buy our drinks with the beads. And there was this guy across the bar and he had this crazy long blonde hair that was bleached from the sun, like forever. And he had a super dark tan and just a nice guy. And we, we kicked up a conversation. I found out he was from Minnesota. Well, I looked down and I'm a Midwestern guy. You know, we, we had a little in connection there. I looked down, he's got like seven or eight of these wristbands on. And I said, what's what's with the wristbands? And you like collect them from people or something? He goes, no, 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 these are all mine. And I said, okay, tell me more about that. He goes, well, I'm a lawnmower guy in Minnesota. I'm a landscaper. He goes, I live in this really nice ranch. It's uh, it's perfectly clean, not a huge house. I got a barn in the back. I got all my tools, a couple of guys that help me. 
And we go around and we landscape like crazy from April through December. And then when I'm done taking care of all my equipment, January 1st, I get on a plane and I come to some crazy resort like this for three months. So this guy just disappears from the world for two to three months at a time. And I thought to myself, holy cow, look at the freedom in that. I mean, he's like, shut the world down. I'll see you later. (laughs) I'll catch you guys back in April. And I thought, here's this is a young guy. He's 25 years old. I thought, how cool is this? That this. So I thought, well, that's a choice, okay? Not everybody can pull that off, but it's a pretty awesome choice. So I said, I got to tell that story. And 25 years later, I'm I'm still telling the story about the grass cutter from Minnesota. I, I don't know his name, but he had a pretty cool way to live. That's for sure. So just a really good example of somebody who chose their version of the life they wanted to live and figured out a way to do that. Also somebody who I think found, and you talk about this in the book, Ken, you know, where opportunity lies and you say opportunity lies in the space or the place where demand is the highest. As you think about the the world we live in today, the grass cutter from Minnesota found opportunity lying in, in that area, you know, 25 years ago. If I'm a young person and I'm, I'm kind of nearing the end of my high school journey and I'm thinking about what comes next? You know, where do you think opportunity is today? If there's three or four career fields that should be on somebody's radar to at least think about or consider, what would you put on the list? You know, I have to tell you right now, for every 10 contractors that are retiring, only three to five are coming online. Okay. So again, if you're a contrarian thinker, you know, they they say in football, if everyone's betting that side, it's probably time to bet the other side because the line's moving, right? Yeah. So Got it. If you're a contrarian thinker, you probably need to be thinking about doing what everybody else isn't doing. And um, I'm afraid to say this, but it's anything where you have a tool in your hand. I mean, almost, almost anything yep. where, where you're creating the result and you're not just wishing the result on Google somehow, you know what I mean? Uh, virtually somehow. Again, you're never going to replace uh, some of the jobs that we have. I, I interviewed a gal who was 27 years old. She said, I had this two-year degree that was one class away. I had a couple of kids and it just, I could never find the time to do it. I asked my friend, she said, you know, I took this welding class. It was super fun. I didn't think I was, I mean, welding, right? I thought I'd be an artist with it or something. So she takes that class. She's hired before the class is over. And now she stands on top of 300 foot tall windmills, welding things and putting things together. She sends me pictures where you can see 30 counties all around her, you know, and she's 27. She's making 150,000 a year. Okay. And she's got this great t-shirt. It says men at work. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so cool. And she's like, my house is paid for my cars are paid for my kids. I got money to start funds for them. So, you know, anything where you're willing to work, where you're willing to, I mean, I hate to say it, but if you pick up a tool, if you can find a way to make it happen, you're, you're going to do well for it. I just think it's a uh, it's an incredible time to be a young person, to be coming out of high school. You know, we're finally, I think, starting to get away from the idea that everybody has to go in the same direction, and we have a lot of different options. So, speaking of those those options, um, and you mentioned a little bit of this in the, in the book. You know, one option is um, you know going to a four year college. One of it is going direct to workforce. But you you, you kind of touch on some interesting pathways after high school that aren't necessarily into those two direct to workforce or onto a four year university. What are some of those? I think first off, 
you know, obviously there's a college path and then there's, you know, going right to work. And and the thing that's cool about going right to work right now is you can, you can almost job shop yourself around. Everybody's hiring. Everybody wants you. And um, you can, you can do a lot of different things and try a lot of different things before you land on what might be interesting to you. It's kind of like, it's kind of like shop class was in high school. You know, you could, you could look at mechanics, you could look at welding, you could look at electricians, you could look at cooking, you could look at all these other, all these other things, carpentry and the rest. So I would say, you know, immerse yourself in some of those experiences and see if any of those ring out to you. But, you know, there's there's tech schools and there's trade schools and there's apprenticeships. There's there's lots of things. There's a school that you would think would be, you know, a mainstream, but it's in Ohio and it's called the Four C's. And I went to see it and um, it was so neat. You walk down the hallway and there's this fully staffed and huge hair salon. And then you go right next door and there's a huge welding room and you go right next door and there's a robotics room and you go down the hallway and there's a a carpentry shop that was 2000 square feet and everything else you could think about. There was probably 20 or 30 different disciplines there. And you could literally walk down the hall and kind of play with each one and see where your, where your head's at. And it was a high school. I thought, man, what a great way to figure out what you want your life to look like. You know, if you listen to the big universities it's college or else you're flipping burgers for the rest of your life. However, they forget to mention that if flipping burgers means you own a McDonald's someday, you know, what's wrong with that? But the point is, is that it's just not true. You know, college has only ever been one of six gateway paths to get what you want to do. It's never been all of it. And so you just got to be really careful when you think, oh, I got to send my kid to college or else I failed as a parent. That's ridiculous. Are we trying to raise? overly educated kids? Or are we trying to raise happy, independent, self-sufficient ones? And I'm not saying that's mutually exclusive, but there's a heck of a lot of different ways to get there. One of them being that four-year degree. And if I have to pick one or the other, I want the happy young person, that the happy, you know, self-sufficient life over, over all the education for sure. If you can take them both, that's great. But, but I know which one I'd pick. Ken Rusk, the author of Blue Collar Cash is our guest on the Tech Ed podcast. If you had one piece of advice, Ken, for a high school sophomore, what would that piece of advice be? Well, there's a lot of them, but I would say sit down in a very dark place for a long period of time and draw your perfect life as as you see it, not as anybody else wants you to see it. We're not all going to chase 15 cars and mega yachts and McMansions. You pick what you want that you would say, man, if I could live like this, that would be so cool. Draw it out in perfect detail. Take your time and then follow that one step at a time. Take your time to draw out your perfect life. Nobody's life ever ends up being completely perfect, but Ken, it feels like yours is pretty close. You have an amazing story. It's a great book, Blue Collar Cash. If our listeners want to get a hold of it, where do they find it? Well, I've, I've got the, the book and the course are on Amazon and they're on Barnes and Nobles and all those different places. You can find it. You can go to my website at KenRusk.com. All my socials are at KenRuskOfficial. And um, I just mentioned one thing. For every book and, and course, if, if you buy this course, I've seen courses 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000. No, this is $99. You get a free $25 book with it. And if you do that, I donate a course and a book to someone of your choosing, nephew, neighbor, friend, whoever, or someone in our community if you don't have somebody. So just know that if you choose to help yourself out, you're going to help somebody else out at the exact same time. Ken, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the TechEd Podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.